Well, this morning we are, have come to the end of the sermon series we've been going through for the last month and a half, a series called Ascent, Following Moses into Deeper Intimacy with God. And the series is one that has walked through a story that we find in Exodus from chapter 19 through chapter 35 of this amazing encounter between God and his people at Mount Sinai after he's rescued them from Egypt. And I had the sense, even as this uh, series was forming in my heart months ago, that this was an important conversation that God was wanting to have with us. And in the conversations that I've had with many of you over these months, my sense is uh, that it, we've been doing this, is that this has been, uh, has in fact been an important uh, place of conversation for you with the Lord and a place of deepening in your own intimacy with life. And I, I love that. Thank you for the faithful ways you've been engaging with us. So I just want to remind you really quickly again of the territory we've covered and just ask you as I walk through this to just um, ask the Lord to highlight for you in this quick review the, oh yeah, that was, that was one of the places I felt like God was really speaking to me and inviting me to a deeper or different perspective. Remember we talked about how God takes the initiative at every step in our dealing with him that God took the initiative to bring his people to himself and continues to. God takes the initiative to invite us to approach him. God takes the initiative to reveal glimpses of different aspects of his glorious nature and his holy character and his loving hearts. God takes the initiative to make sacrificial provision for us so that unholy people can approach a holy God. God takes the initiative to inspire and preserve the scriptures for us so we have a faithful record of his revelation of himself and, and clear invitation into the relationship he desires to have with us. And we saw last Sunday that God takes the initiative in fulfilling his will and his purposes and bringing our will into line with his own. Throughout this uh, message today, I'm just going to be... Um, quoting from several different classic works of spiritual devotion that you may want to just jot the titles down of as you go along. They're ones that have been rich for me and my own reading and my own, my own development of my soul. Uh, one of those is Testament of Devotion by Thomas Kelly. And I love what he says about the initiative of God and our relationship with him. This is so rich. He says, we suppose man, and let me just say this, many of these quotes are from older works. And you know that when I say man, I mean men and women. We suppose man is the initiator and God is the responder, but the living Christ within us is the initiator and we are the responders. God, the lover, God, the accuser, God, the revealer of light and darkness presses within us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock and all our apparent initiative is already a response, a testimonial to his secret presence and working within us. Our quest is of his initiative. It is carried forward in his tender power, and it is completed by his grace. So as you think back over this series that we've been, as we've been exploring this story together and walking through this, where have you been moved by God's initiative? 
What aspect has especially challenged you or stirred in you? Where have you been stretched or challenged by what you've heard about God's nature and his character and his heart? Where have you heard God's invitation? This morning, we explore two final dimensions to this story. We're going to be looking first at the basis of our intimacy with God and then looking at the fruit of our intimacy with God. The first of those two, the basis of our intimacy with God, takes us to a chapter we haven't looked at yet, Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. So God rescued his people from Egypt. He brought them to Mount Sinai, which God has used symbolically to represent his home. And now he has been extending hospitality to his people. He has been welcoming them and to his home and sharing fellowship with them. So for 15 chapters now, God has been meeting Moses and his people on the top of Mount Sinai. And then we find this Utterly unexpected development. Exodus 33, beginning in verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and they stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. This expression, Moses used to pitch a tent, used to is one way to capture this verb tense. So the idea that captures this idea of something happening on a regular or repeated basis, it could also be translated continually or on a regular basis or, or almost always. Moses kept pitching a tent again and again and again and going out to meet God. A wonderful pattern for us. Verse 9, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and then they worshipped each of them at the entrance of their tent. The pillar of cloud would come down. Now remember that earlier in the story, Moses had to go up to come to the cloud. The cloud had descended from heaven to the very top of Mount Sinai. And then Moses was invited up into it. Now the cloud is coming down from the mountaintop all the way to the foot of the mountain, beyond the foot of the mountain, right to where Moses is. And we're told that the Lord speaks to Moses. God doesn't just give Moses his presence. I mean, think about this. In your own friendships, in your own relationships with people, speech is the most significant way that we can open our hearts up to one another. Speech is a means to intimacy. It opens a mind and it opens a heart. So God comes revealing, he comes sharing, he comes opening it up, he comes speaking his heart, he comes revealing his character, he comes making his will known. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp and then I love this line, I wish there was more said here. I just love this provocative little hint. But his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, didn't leave the tent. Now the text elaborates on God speaking. He isn't just speaking to Moses. He is speaking with Moses. Face to face, 
probably could be better translated heart to heart. This isn't so much meant to convey the idea, this this physical uh, facing of each other over a coffee table. This is meant to capture the idea of, of a heart turned towards another person. You know that all through scripture, this this metaphor of someone turning their face towards a person, God turning his face toward us, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That is is meant to express the, the opening of his regard to you, his pouring out his affection on you, giving you his attention and his care, giving you himself. So this isn't just two faces turned towards each other, but this is two hearts open to one another. Imagine that kind of intimacy with God. The Lord speaking with you, with you, face to face, heart to heart, as one speaks to a friend. Even across these few chapters, we see a profound progression taking place in the way that God relates to his people. It starts with proximity. God brings his people to the foot of the mountain. God brings us near to himself. Exodus 19.4, the Lord said, I brought you to myself. But there's more. It goes further to availability. God invites the people to the top of the mountain. He opens the way for us to approach him, holy and perfect, though he is. 24.12, the Lord said, come up to me on the mountain, but there's more. It culminates in intimacy as God comes down and makes himself present to his people, meeting them where they are. God comes all the way down to be with us. 33, 14, the Lord says, my presence will go with you. Now, if you are a follower of Christ, you already know that there's one more crucial chapter in this story of God making his presence known. You know that it wasn't just in the form of a cloud that God came down from the mountain and drew near. God doesn't just draw near to us as a power, as a pillar. He comes down and draws near to us as a person. There's a wonderful link that John makes in the prologue of his gospel, the beginning of the gospel of John, between these meetings between God and his people at Mount Sinai and the coming of Jesus to earth. John chapter 14 and verse 18 are the places, chapter 1, verse 14 and 18 are the places we see this. Let me point out just four of the more obvious connections, although there are even more in this passage. I love this. It's such a beautiful picture of God's artistry in inspiring scripture. Listen to these four really intentional parallels that John draws. First, God visits Moses in the tent of meeting, Exodus 33.9. And then in John 1.14, we're told the word became flesh. And it literally says he pitched his tent among us in our midst. Second, Exodus 33.18, Moses asked God to reveal his glory. And then we're told when the word becomes flesh, John says, we have seen his glory. Third, when God passes before Moses and declares that he is abounding in love and in faithfulness, 34.6, John uses the exact same phrase, translating from the Hebrew to the Greek, to describe Jesus. 
chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus comes to us full of grace and truth. And then finally, in Exodus 34, verses 5 and 6, it says, The Lord came down and he stood there with him and he passed in front of him proclaiming his name. And when you proclaim your name, you are making the essence of who you are known in ancient culture. In John chapter 114, it says, Jesus, the word, the proclamation of God came from the Father. And in 118, it says, and he has made him known. That culminating stage in God's revelation of himself is what makes our gathering together in our experience of worship on Sunday morning so vibrant and so profound. Because we believe that God himself has visited us and having risen from the dead remains present to us always, every time we come together. We come together with the expectation that we will encounter the risen Lord Jesus in our midst. God has made himself present to us here at the bottom of the mountain through his son. So we can encounter the risen Lord Jesus every Sunday morning here in our midst during our corporate worship. And we are meant to. This is meant to be the starting point and the center point of our life together as a church family every week as we recalibrate our lives on his life. But there's more. We can encounter him at the start of each day and at the end of each day and throughout each day as he pitches his tent within us, wherever we are. Several times along the way during this series on this story in Exodus, we have gone to the book of Hebrews, which compares the encounter with, between God and his people at Mount Sinai with the access that we have to God through Jesus. And I think putting these two passages side by side, I think is really kind of popped to life some of these passages in Hebrews, hasn't it? Listen to this passage. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is, that is burning with fire. You have not come to darkness, to gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or, or to such a voice speaking words that those who hear it beg that no further word would be spoken. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You have come to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. You have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You have come to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks to a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And then this summary passage, because God has made himself present to us at all times through his son, Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually 
offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. It is true, but it is not sufficient to say that God was present to us in Jesus. God is present to us in Jesus. So we can encounter him not only in our worship on Sunday mornings, when we take time to gather together in the presence of God, praying that God would give us eyes to see him as he passes through our midst, but we can encounter him at any moment, in any context. We have access to God at every moment, and we can walk through life enjoying and empowered by his presence within us. Francis de Sales, in the early 1600s, in his Introduction to the Devout Life, describes a practice that he calls spiritual retreat. I love this. He writes, during the course of the day, recall as often as possible that you are in God's presence. Remember to retire at various times into the solitude of your own heart, even while outwardly engaged in discussions or transactions with others. Our tasks are seldom so important as to keep us from withdrawing our hearts from them from time to time in order to retire into this divine solitude. Therefore, withdraw your spirit from time to time into your heart, and there, apart from the world of men, you can converse heart to heart with God at any time. That idea is echoed in another wonderful little book about a man named Brother Lawrence, also written in the 1600s. The book's called The Practice of the Presence of God. It says, Brother Lawrence began by cultivating in his heart the deep presence of God. He occupied himself with continual acts of adoration, love, and invocation of help of the Lord in whatever he did. It was evident in his outlook when he was busy in the kitchen that underneath his continuous work and in the midst of the most distracting occupations, he kept his spirit focused on God. He once said, I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. And when it is finished, if I have nothing to do, I bow and I adore my God who gave me the grace to make my omelet. The good brother found God everywhere, as much while he was repairing shoes as while he was praying with the community. And Thomas Kelly, in his beautiful and inviting spiritual classic, The Testament of Devotion, explores this same theme. Deep within us all, there is an amazing inner sanctuary of the soul. It's a holy place to which we may continuously return. It is the Shekinah of the soul. It is the presence in our midst. The basic response of the soul to the light is internal adoration and joy, thanksgiving and worship, self-surrender and listening. The secret places of the heart cease to be our noisy workshop. They become a holy sanctuary of adoration, A practicing Christian must, above all, be one who practices the perpetual return of the soul to that inner sanctuary. So some questions for us to ponder before we go on. How aware are you, day to day and throughout each day, of the presence of God? What helps you be aware of his presence? What gets in the way of your being aware of his presence? 
How intentional are you to access the presence of God in Christ? Are there different choices that God would have you make related to how you begin and end your day or walk through it? Related to the way you use your phone or spend time looking at a screen? Where do you hear God's invitation this morning? Well, that brings us to the final chapter, the final dimension of this story that I just want to briefly explore with you. We have talked about the basis of our intimacy with God. I just want to touch briefly on the fruit of our intimacy with God. And that is this, in essence, that the more time we spend in God's presence, the more Christ will be radiant in us in a way that's observable to others. For this part of the story, let's just flip one chapter over to Exodus chapter 34, picking up in verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he wasn't aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. And afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed that veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. And then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord again. Whenever Moses spent time with God, his face reflected that encounter. How's that for a spiritual principle? We can spend time with God at any time because his son, risen from the dead, is present to us by God's spirit, always residing within. And the more we turn to him, the more our lives will reflect his presence in us. Think about this. When you and I spend time in the presence of the sun, ultraviolet rays penetrate our skin. They trigger cells to produce pigment called melanin that causes our skin color to change. And others will notice that we've been in the sun. When we spend time in the presence of the son of God, The Spirit penetrates our soul and triggers spiritual growth and transformation such that more and more the life and likeness of Jesus is formed in us and others will notice that we've been spending time in the sun. Here's another one of the great passages that contrasts the encounter that took place between God and his people at Mount Sinai and the access that we have to God through Jesus today. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? 
For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with this surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Hopping down to verse 16, but whenever anyone turns to that to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness. From one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we spend time with God, when we turn our face to him, our lives will reflect that encounter. And the more often we turn our face to the sun, the more we walk through life oriented toward his presence, the more our lives will reflect those encounters. It makes me think of that wonderful and mysterious passage in the book of Acts in which John and Peter are dragged before the high religious authorities and, and they are threatened. But John and Peter speak with incredible peace and grace and boldness and courage. And then we're told in chapter four, verse, uh, chapter four, verse 13, speaking of the religious authorities, it says, and when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were just unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And this is the line I love. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. As I was working on this section, Alan Sutton came immediately to mind. Here was a man whose whole life was radiant with the joy and purpose and peace and grace of Christ's presence. I want that. Abiding life practices like weekly corporate worship and and daily private worship and scripture reading and centering prayer and solitude and silence and quieting prayer, those are all ways that we draw near to God, giving him fuller access to our interior and opening our lives up to his transforming presence. Evelyn Underhill wrote an incredible little book that I try to reread each year called Concerning the Inner Life. In it, she describes the way that time pursuing the face of Jesus, time opening our lives to the presence of Jesus is the crucial difference maker when it comes to a life in which others encounter God. This is what she writes. Ignatius Loyola based the whole of his great spiritual exercises on one fundamental truth. Man was created for this end, to praise, reverence, and serve the Lord his God. That means that man's first duty is adoration, and his second duty is awe, and only his third duty is service. And it means that for those three things and nothing else, you and I were created. Adoration and awe, unless those two are right, the last of the triad, service, won't be right. Unless the whole of your life is a movement of praise and adoration, unless it is filled with awe, the work which that life produces won't be much good. 
And if that can be true, it follows that the Christian revelation, the work done by Christ in man's souls, has also as its object the promotion of God's glory, the shining out of his reality more and more fully through our lives. The increase of our wide-open, loving, selfless adoration, the deepening of our celebratory awe, the expanding of our consecration in service. Only in this way will we show them in our own person the literal truth of the other great Ignatian saying, I have come from God. Only a spirituality, she says, which thus puts the whole emphasis on the reality of God, perpetually turning to him, losing losing itself in him, refusing to allow even the most pressing work or practical problems, even sin and failure, to distract from God. Only this is a safe foundation for spiritual work. This alone is able to keep alive the awed, adoring sense of the mysteries among which we move. You will only bring others to the love of God insofar as you yourselves have got it and can only help them to make sense of that world of time and events which so greatly bewilders them insofar as you are able to bring into it the spirit of eternity. And that is what you are for. The more our lives are open to the presence, the more it will be Jesus and not us that people encounter when they interact with us. Let me tell you about a conversation I had a number of years ago, and I share this not as a reflection on me. Actually, it does reflect on me, but very poorly, I think. This is a reflection of how God works in you and in me when we allow him to, when we draw near and we let him do the rest. Years ago, I did a memorial service for someone whose, uh, the circumstances of whose death um, were incredibly difficult and painful. I think um, the day before the service, I spoke on the phone with a woman who is a part of this man's family. She lived out of town. I'd, I'd never met her before. And she called because she was looking for some place to be able to process the pain of uh, what had happened surrounding this man's death. And I remember vividly that when she called, I was standing up, I had a stack of books in my arms, and I was walking out the door when the phone rang. And I remember thinking even before I picked it up, whatever it is, I don't have time for it. So I I, uh, answered the phone, and uh, this woman introduced herself and asked if we could talk. And I remember thinking, um, five minutes? I've got stuff I've got to do. So we began to talk. And in that moment, as we began the conversation, by the grace of God, I just paused and said, Lord, this is your conversation. I don't have anything to bring to this. So, uh, Lord, you let this be your conversation with this woman. Well, almost immediately, it became obvious that this was an appointment that God had for us both. She was incredibly spiritually open, and we had an absolutely amazing conversation during that time. And we talked for an hour. 
Well, the next day, I went to the funeral home. And when I arrived at the funeral home, I asked the director if he would introduce me to the family and specifically asked for him to introduce me to this woman that I had spoken with on the phone. And I remember coming around the corner and, and him introducing me to her and, and saying, this is David Henderson. And, and I was watching her face. And as he said my name, I mean, I watched this happen. Her face fell. Like, oh. Oh. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I, it's nothing. It's just. She said, I thought you were going to look like Jesus. And what she was reflecting was that it wasn't me that she had interacted with the day before, but him. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into, the like, into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you remember that the word Christian means little Christs. They may not be telling you in so many words as this woman told me, but wherever you go, you bring the radiant presence of Christ with you. John's Gospel says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. When people look at your life, they will see his light. And the more you draw near to him, the more they will see him in you. So covenant family, what is God's invitation to you this morning? 